So, Willie, I went to uh, Dollar General earlier today to get a frozen pizza and a Coca-Cola because I'm a piece of shit. Sure. And um, the cashier, I, I, my order rang up as $10. And she's like, oh, you couldn't couldn't do that again if you tried. And we laughed. And uh, I was on my way out the door. And she's like, you know, the strangest thing happened to me the other day. Um, I had this customer, their order rang up as $6.06. And the customer was like, oh, good thing it wasn't 666, you know, and they were like, ha ha ha. And uh, the customer was about to walk out and the uh, customer was like, wait a minute, I want to give you something. And she apparently pulled out a cross, a wooden cross. Sure. Gave it to this woman. And the woman was like, you know, kind of taken aback, was thought it was weird. And she, it was on her mind for a few days and she was on her way home, I guess, the other day and saw this car pulling out and she's like they're not going to stop they're not going to stop and witnessed like a t-bone crash and she's like i wonder if this is like a blah 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 that whole thing and i was like you know it would be even crazier is if you went back and looked at that footage of the time that she apparently gave you that cross and there was fucking nobody there <laughs> yeah there was never even a person <laughs> right right so folks hey we're joined by willie griswold today willie uh, tell people uh, a little bit about yourself and, and where we can find you online. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm a comedian. Um, I tour a little bit through the Midwest right now. Not really like touring, but I'm going around. I got a monthly show at Laugh Factory in Chicago that is typically every second Friday. And I'm on the Bob and Tom show uh, Monday to Friday mornings. And you can hear that all across the country. Um, but yeah, I'm a comedian. I smoke a fair amount of pot, or I've been known to allegedly smoke a little bit of pot from time to time. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's how we met. And that's a little bit of background, right? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So uh, I just wanted to really quick before we get into our conversation today, which I just wanted to talk about, we talked a little bit about it the last time you're on the show, but I wanted to talk about how you got into comedy, how you started performing, you know, how you got to Bob and Tom and uh, all, all that good stuff. But first, let's let's plug the dates folks you're you're coming to chillinois soon right willie oh yeah so i'm going to be at the uh the jukebox comedy club in peoria on friday 15th and 16th that's a friday and saturday and i'm going to be opening up for josh arnold who is also on the bob and tom show and he's been like a touring headliner for decades he's incredible and i'm you know just sort of coming up i'm in that you know feature level uh but it's going to be a great time and it'll be uh i'm just excited to be back in illinois you know Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And uh, the 15th payday. So there's a good chance that folks, I'm going to be there because God damn it, you know, what do you do on payday, but spend all your hard yeah. on drugs and, you know, alcohol. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So folks, maybe I'll see you in Peoria. And if, uh, and if I do the offer that I always extend or that I'm going to start extending to people is that if you leave the Chillinoy podcast, a positive review, I will give you a joint I'm telling you. You just got to show your phone, show the proof that you did it and you'll get your fucking joint for free. So anyways, see me in public. Ask me about it. I'll, I can't I'll, wait for got... this. I can't wait for this to get popular and then catch on and then bite you in the ass. And you have to buy like <laughs> hundreds of joints every day just to give to people. Yeah, I'm telling you, folks, I've always got enough to hand out. So um, anyways, uh, yeah. When did you start performing, Willie? Have you always like, um, performed in general? Like when did you get into performing? So I've always kind of performed, you know, a little bit when I was a kid, I would always do like talent shows and um, 
I did like plays in high school. I never got any good parts, but I was like in the theater realm, I guess. But I really did a lot of music stuff. I was in bands in like uh, middle school and high school. I played in like the jazz band for the school and like, you know, the pet band or whatever. But I was in like, you know, like little like four or five person rock and roll bands with my buddies. And that was how I really kind of got on stage was being a singer and uh, a guitarist for my band's Mezzo Static and Emporium. I don't know if you were a part of that, you know, 03, 04 Indianapolis scene, but we definitely had a good time. Uh, but yeah, then I kind of stopped playing music, started kind of just goofing my buddies, smoking pot and such. And then I went to college out in Boulder, Colorado, which is oh, wow. a great town to smoke pot in. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. And I was there for four years. I did not graduate. <laughs> I did not graduate from Boulder. <laughs> it was just hard. Like I was having a lot of fun. And then I had some, you know, like bad stuff happen to like me and my friend group. And then I was just kind of over it. But I started doing stand up out there. What was my senior year, my fourth year. And I just did like a handful of open mics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was out there, there were like two or three a week. There was like one that I always wanted to go to at this restaurant I like, but I never got the guts to go there. Uh, but I would go to this open mic at this Irish bar and I would go just every other week at first and then every other week and try to make friends. I never made any friends. I would always just booze way too much because I was super nervous. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be like I'd be like getting whiskey gingers and getting a shot of whiskey and then like going up there with my little note card full of jokes and just trying to make it through that note card. And if anything worked, I would like try it the next week. But it didn't really take uh Like it was something I was doing and I was telling people that I was doing it, but it wasn't happening every week. Mm -hmm. It wasn't consistent. And then eventually I left Boulder. I moved to Chicago and I got in this like improv sketch group. Uh, We were called Magic City. It was me and a bunch of kids from Columbia College, Chicago. That was the school I transferred to. And that was like super fun. And uh, with those guys, I got to do a sketch show inside of second city so not a second city produce show like mm-hmm. not that not what like steve carell and chris farley and <laughs> tina fey like not the same thing but i was i was in a theater like close to that building you know like that's <laughs> like it was in piper's alley you know like yeah uh and so that felt super cool that like within five months of moving to chicago i found this like group of people that i did this sketch show with and it was good and it was funny and i wrote in it and i got a perform in it uh, I didn't write a lot and I think I was in like the fewest amount of sketches cause I was the newest, but I was like really lucky to meet people that were super talented yeah. where I could kind of be, you know, the, the weakest link or whatever. Uh, and they could help make me look really good. And then I did a couple shows with those guys. And then I, uh, the sketch thing kind of just slowed down because I started really getting into standup. Um, I, I went to my first, I think I went to one open mic in October so this is, I was doing them in like April and May in Boulder, not consistently. Yeah. Moved to Chicago in August. Didn't really stick. I couldn't really get, I was doing the sketch stuff. So the open mic stuff wasn't that fun to me. I, I think I did one at October in Coles, which is like the most, Coles is like the most, uh, it's, it's the cool open mic. It's where all the cool mm-hmm. comics hang out. And it was like, I think it was started by like Cameron Esposito and Hannibal Burris hosted it for a while. And you would like, you'd go to hang out at Kohl's and then you'd get bumped because like Hannibal would go up to do a spot. And this is like 2016, 2015, 2016. So Hannibal's like the most famous comedian on earth. Definitely the most famous guy from Chicago at that time. Yeah. And so that was like a cool thing that made me feel like I was in the right place. Like being like, if I'm going to a bar to do a mic and then I'm getting bumped because Hannibal Burris is going up, 
then I know that I should keep doing that. But instead of being like, I got to come back to this bar, I was like, I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go to Crazy Johnny's open mic where there's only six <laughs> people on the list and I don't get bumped because I want to yeah. make sure I can get my stage time in or whatever. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so I, I moved to Chicago. I started doing sketch and then I started open micing really hard. And then I met my buddy Colin Unger, who was yeah. on the podcast with me last time. And he had a car and I didn't. I couldn't drive at this time because I just had a seizure. Uh, so I couldn't drive for like eight months or whatever it was. And I was just taking the train, trying to get around, calling out a car. We both liked comedy. We loved pot. And we became this kind of duo, just hitting like, you know, three to six mics a night for that summer of 2016. And uh, I'd like done comedy for about like two years before that, I guess. Uh, but it was never really consistent. And that was the first time that I was getting up multiple times in a week and really seeing, you know, why my jokes weren't working. Mm -hmm. uh, because like in the past, I would get like booked on a show or go to a mic and be like, oh, they just didn't get me. Uh, like, oh, like the crowd just sucks. And then yeah. the person would go on after me and like the crowd would love them. So I'd be like, you know, guess it <laughs> wasn't the crowd. Maybe this is on me a little bit. And so that summer is when I started like recording my sets. Like that's a big thing is just yeah. listening to your sets uh, after the fact so you can see how you can do better. Like a you know quarterback watching film or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that's like a really big, uh, that was a big like milestone for me. It was like, Hey, I'm going to start recording these that way I can listen and get better. So that's pretty much how I got into doing performing stand-up comedy. I got a little rambly there. Sorry. No, dude. I loved it. I loved it. It gave me a lot of questions to ask. So like, have you always, cause you in your, at the beginning when you were talking uh, about when you got into sketch comedy and just my question, first of all, was going to be, why did you get into stand-up comedy? But it was obvious through some of your answer that you just obviously have a love for it. Cause I wouldn't have been able to tell you that Steve Carell and who, who else was it that you said went to uh, that place Farley and, and Tina Fey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I, that's like, crazy trivia stuff i mean I, so do you have you always just been into comedy like is that why you started why why comedy i guess is my so question. yeah i'm a big i'm a big comedy nerd i've always liked watching comedy my whole life and then the, the sort of the big the biggest absolutely biggest influence in my comedy was my dad so my sure. dad started and is still a part of a radio show called the bob and tom show that started in Harbor Springs, Michigan in the early 80s and then moved to Indianapolis and then became syndicated. And uh, it was it was sort of like, I don't know a lot about this, about the beginning of it. But in my head, they were the sort of that like crazy morning zoo radio show that you think of. Hell yeah, bro. Uh, the one that's like recognized, like it's getting like made fun of as being like inappropriate and being like kind of silly and dumb and, you know, like childish, but in like the best way. Yeah. Uh, and so I grew up, um, my folks divorced. And so I was, I would live like one year in Indianapolis with my dad and then another year in Miami with my mom. Excuse me. It was like, yeah, it was like kindergarten. I was in Indy first grade Miami. Mm -hmm. second grade Indy, third grade Miami, and then finally in fourth grade, I moved back to Indy, and then I stayed here for the rest of high school. Uh, but yeah, it was really weird just going between those two places. And yeah. uh, I definitely remember watching a lot of comedy movies like in the car, on the plane or whatever. But the big thing was when I was living in Indianapolis, uh, I was living with my dad. My mom was in Miami. And so there was no one to like take me to school. So I would just go in to the radio station with my dad in the morning and 
Indiana wasn't a part of daylight savings until like a decade ago. Right. So that meant half my childhood, I'd be waking up. If it was the East East Coast time zone, I'd have to wake up at 4 a.m. I'm sorry, when daylight savings kicked in, I'd have to wake up at four instead of waking up at five. So my dad could get to work at six or five mm-hmm. uh, because the time, cha- the time change would like screw us over basically. And we had to be loyal to the East Coast. Right. So I spent like a lot of my childhood waking up at four in the morning, getting ready, getting into work with my dad at five. And then I would five to six to seven to eight. I'd spend, you know, three hours listening to a comedy show before I went to school. Yeah. And what a so, way to wake up. <laughs> exactly. And I was too young to really get what they were talking about at that point, but I understood sure. the laughs. Uh, like a lot of the dirty stuff I, I didn't get. And I would kind of be in there just, you know, my bugging my older brother to try to help me to do homework or trying to make him let me take one turn on the video game because there was one computer in the green room that we would share and we'd play like little like mini clip.com and addicting yeah. games. Hell yeah. And so, yeah, it was a lot of just growing up in a radio station uh, with a lot of like some of the funniest people. My dad's very funny. Uh, the guy that he started the show with, Bob, is very funny. Uh, Chick McGee and Christy, they're like two of the funniest people of all time. Uh, and then that was the people in the building every day, but multiple times a year, you would get massive headliners rolling through Indianapolis. Uh, at the time, the biggest comedy club was Crackers, but there was also a place called the Comedy Connection. There was Morty's. There was this really cool uh, local comedy scene here. Um, but yeah, they'd bring in the big clubs would bring in big names and they would always do the show to promote their shows for the weekend. Fuck yeah. And so I was like a really lucky kid because it'd be a Friday morning. And, you know, before I got to go, go to school, I got to meet like Jimmy Pardo or like Carlos Mencia. Wow. It's like a really funny one. People get a kick out of that now because it's gone through so much controversy. Yeah. yeah. Um, guys like these like legendary road comedian named Tim Wilson. Uh, I got to meet him when I was a kid. So many of these like really big names in comedy. And I got to hang out with them, you know, for the 10 minutes before when they got to the radio station, they like went out to smoke a cigarette while their manager was waiting or the booker or club promoter was there. And I was just kind of in there hanging out. And then the producer would come in and basically give them this long spiel. That's just like, hey, don't say fuck. It's a live radio show. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He would ask them for their jokes, but I got to sit in there and I got to watch all of that. And I just got to become a little sponge. And um, that was like absolutely the biggest uh, influence on my comedy was just my dad. And growing up in that radio station and having an older brother that loved comedy. And I mean, even though my mom, she's not a comedian, but she still is like, she, she likes really good comedy. I got, right, I got right. really lucky growing up to have folks that uh, like we would drive and like, we'd have like the best of Chris Farley on SNL. Like that would be in the back of the Fuck car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fuck yeah. It was, yeah, it's, that was, that was the best. And like the best of Will Ferrell on SNL. We were constantly watching that kind of stuff. Uh, Cause you know, like people would send in, they would do uh, NBC's releasing a new thing. They'd send it to the radio station. It would go on a pile on my dad's desk and then it, me and my brother would get it. And then, you know, we'd get to watch it. And it was, yeah, it was just great. I got really lucky growing up in a big comedy family where I could just kind of nerd out and watch all the DVDs. And like, you know, we had comedy central and we were allowed to watch it. It was hell yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, I got really, really lucky. Uh, to grow up in a, a really a family that like really actually like respects comedy too. Yeah, man, that's, that's so cool because I can't tell you, like I've been listening to Bob and Tom since 
before I could understand the jokes as well. Like right. my dad would drop me off every morning. We'd listen to Bob and Tom on the way there. And a lot of the jokes would go right over my head, like you say. Um, but, but there's certain laughs that, that I could pick up on. And um, I still listen to the show every, almost every morning to this day. And it was really crazy when, um, when we had you on, because you said you did Bob and Tom and whatever, but you just kind of mentioned it. Like, I felt like you mentioned it in passing. I also may have been really high. And so I may not have absorbed <laughs> it, but the next morning I was driving on my way to work and like your voice was playing through my speakers and I'm driving, I'm driving. I'm like, am I fucking high right now? Like I know this person. Yeah. And then, uh, you, you ended up, somebody said, I think it was Christy Lee said your name, Willie. And I was like, Oh, dumbass he literally yeah. said he's on bob and tom and it's like <laughs> it was just a weird it was a weird moment so well it is a weird thing i don't know how to treat it sometimes because if you're from like where i'm from in indianapolis uh like everyone knows bob and tom but when i was in yeah. chicago nobody knows bob and tom so really? i never i never try to like say it as a big deal because well honestly it's not i'm pretty used to it. i've grown up in it my whole life sure sure i have like a deep respect for the show I think it's, uh, I don't think it's like cool. I don't know. I, I love the show. But I don't think it's like a big deal myself, but sometimes well, I would like say it to like somebody at camp and then like they would tell their dad and then their dad knew we were friends. And like on the last like Saturday at camp when all the parents came to pick us up, the dad would be like, you're Tom Griswold's boy. Good show <laughs> that Bob and Tom show. And <laughs> so it's either no one knows what it is or there's people that have this like reverence and deep respect and love for it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now, I mean, uh, one thing that uh, a recent memory that actually came up for me at first is this is going to sound like it's a sad story, but I promise you it's not. It brought up an interesting memory for me. Um, it was actually shortly after we had talked, my great grandmother had passed. It's okay. She was like 98 years old. It was her time to go. <laughs> so dude, that's was, okay. You're allowed yeah. to be sad about it, man. I hate yeah. it when people say just like, my grandma died. Don't feel bad. She was old. It's like you're still <laughs> yeah. allowed to feel bad. I'm sorry about your great grandma, man. That's <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, but uh, I saw a, a cousin of mine that I hadn't seen in, in quite some time. And uh, just seeing her brought up this memory where she had told me her dad, the, her alarm or his alarm clock every morning was Bob and Tom radio. So yeah, like you say, there's some of those just die diehard fans out there. I saw him actually at the funeral, asked him and I was like, you still waking up to t Bob and Tom every morning. He was like, you fucking bet your ass, man. <laughs> you know? So it was, it was just kind of cool. It was cool. So yeah. Um, very cool. I figured that that's, that that's how you got your start and, and stand up. So like going back to doing it in Boulder, were you like, like, I guess, you know, obviously, since you guys had in growing up, you saw comedians all the time. Is that like, and just watching like SNL and everything else, like, is that why in Boulder you're like, I want to try going up for a mic? I mean, is that? Um, so it took me forever to go up. I didn't, I didn't go up at all until my like my senior year. Right. And the first time I went up was actually in Indy. I was, I was still at school, but I was home for Thanksgiving break and me and a couple of buddies got really drunk. <laughs> During the day, we ended up getting tickets to go watch WWE Raw, like professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, my older brother, who's also a comedian, he was at an open mic uh, in Indianapolis at, uh, what's it called? The Mousetrap. It's not an open, now it's karaoke night on Mondays, but it used to be this great open mic. 
And we went there and we were just planning on like getting more drunk and hang with my brother or whatever. But then my buddy Logan was like, let's do sets. And so me and my buddy Logan did a set. Our third buddy, Mark, didn't do a set, even though now he's a comedian. So in hindsight, that seems super weird. But I got up there and I just I didn't do very well. Uh, but Sam was like really proud of me. He was like really stoked about it. And he was like, you got to do that again. You got even a couple laughs. My buddy Logan, <laughs> my buddy Logan, who I was, I was just with him last weekend. He's not a comedian. He's like a real guy. He's got like a great job. Like He's like a really good, like a straight shooting kind of guy. And he walks up and he just goes, okay, guys, we're going to talk about three things. California, marijuana, and the homeless problem. <laughs> like, I will never forget it. I got such a big kick out of it. And then if you're listening and you want to be a comedian, by the way, he did what you're supposed to do. He said his little thing, the one, two, three. He said things about all three of those things. And then he got off stage. That's, that's the key. You don't want to, you want to get all your crazy ramblings out of the way. And then you just let the next guy go on. You don't want right. to say, and what else did I want to talk about? Because that's when you start scaring people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I did it then. And then um, I went back to Boulder, Christmas break. And then I think the second time I did it was like March, the March after that. So like four months after. And it was a thing that I knew I always wanted to do. And it was a thing that I knew I would probably like get into eventually. Like I always thought that I was funny. Uh, I always like liked uh, TV shows with comedy and I like knew about like improv and I knew about second city, uh, but it just never was a thing that happened. Uh, I just never did it. But my buddy, Mark, uh, he was doing sketch and improv at IU when he was in college. And then my older brother, Sam was in Indy and he started doing comedy. So it was, it was this, it was this way more manageable thing. It was like, well, if my best friend and my brother can do it, then I can probably give it a shot too. And <laughs> yeah. so after they were into it, then I got into it and I was just living in Boulder and yeah, I was, I like withdrew from my last semester. I was like, I was like going through a really hard time and I was just like hanging with my buddies and partying a lot. But then the one thing that I, I wanted to start, I, I want to start doing open mics and then I auditioned for an improv group and I didn't get the audition. Like I didn't get in the improv. And in hindsight, it was like, a, like I thought I was hilarious in the audition, but then after when I went to second city and I learned about like what you're supposed to do in improv, it was like a t I was doing terrible scenes. I was an idiot. I wasn't being funny at all. I was breaking the fourth wall before we'd even done like a common ground. Like I, I hadn't established anything. Uh -huh. It was really bad, but I kind of took getting denied from that. And I was like, you don't want me in your club. Fine. I'm going to go do stand up on my own. <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I, I got denied from that. But again, the audition that I did was just terrible, but in my yeah. head at the time, without knowing anything about improv, I was like, I did a great job. I was hilarious in there, man. Yeah. I thought I was cool. That's, um, that's funny. Yeah. But sorry, that's, I, I keep getting really silly. I keep getting carried away and rambling a little bit. No, uh, no. <laughs> hey, man, I brought you on to talk. This is, <laughs> you're doing your role in this. So, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so, I guess my uh, question that kind of came up, uh, between stand-up skit like did sketch and improv help at all with your stand-up yeah in a way um, in a way yeah i mean it's like it's like i heard it's a different muscle kind of exactly yeah. it's like it's like someone that plays football in college that also played basketball and baseball in high school mm, uh yeah. like it's it's not like they're gonna have to 
dunk a ball in a game or they're going to have to hit a ball in a game. Like with a, they're not going to have to like pitch or anything, but little things, little bits will carry over. Um, sure. Like the one thing about one thing that I learned about like improv and sketch in second city, it was like creating from abundance. So like you don't have writer's block. There's always something else that you can be doing. There's always, there's always other ways to write. They mm-hmm. taught us ways like, okay, give me three careers. And you'd be like pilot, teacher, president. And they'd be like, give me uh, family relationships, and be like cousin, aunt, sister. And then like, give me three objects. And then they like, they draw a line. Like, okay, cool. Write a scene with that. And then they just make you do it. <laughs> and then it's bad or it's good or whatever. But they kind of just show you like, there's, there's never, you never really have writer's block. There's always something you could be doing. Yeah. And that has been really good for me as a writer. And uh, that, that's one thing that you have to do is you always have to just keep writing and keep coming up with new ideas. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, they, they all help. Uh, but it's definitely, sorry, it's thundering here. And I just got scared. I'm a grown man. that just got scared <laughs> in my own home. I was talking to you and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, it's, it's not like a direct thing. It's not like doing push-ups and your biceps definitely get bigger. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's like a, it's like a different muscle, it, but it, but it does kind of push you in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that like maybe the, the writing that would be required with sketch, um, might help. Yeah. With like, like you say, kind of developing material and stand up, but then the muscle you develop in improv might be helpful for like just being on your toes on stage. Exactly. I mean? Like for riffing. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's like another thing, like in, in one improv class, like somebody said something about how specificity is comedy. Like, Hey, it's, if we're starting a scene, it's not get in the car. It's Hey, come on, get in the Corolla or whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. It's just, it makes it a little more real. It sounds sillier. And so that, that's a thing that I'll do on stage is when you're riffing with someone, you get really specific, you know, sure. uh, and, and you really tear into stuff. It's yeah, improv definitely helps crowd work on stage. And I think that sketch writing absolutely helps uh, writing stand up. But they are three different practices, but it's all funny. Um, and like you can use, I've had bits that I've done as sketches and as stand up jokes. And I found the joke uh, like through an improv scene. Like, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me, it does for, for, I mean, well, maybe I'll like try to elaborate why it makes sense for me and you could bounce it off of you just in case folks don't inherently get it. Like for me, when you think about scenarios and situations, um, I'm not a stand-up comedian, although I'm like, I've been thinking about doing an open mic and I write all the time on things that I think are funny. But like I say, like when you think of scenarios or situations, you can, kind of get a story out of it that's kind of i guess what i'm i'm hearing from you even though it may not even be a story something you've actually been through you know what i mean it's just Um, like it's like little things i used to have this bit that i loved uh called jeans for big fat guys with small dicks and it's just like it's just the idea of a jeans company it's like come on by we're jeans for big fat guys with small dicks (laughs) it was just it was like a thing that i like said to myself like as I was like walking down the street, just like losing my mind or whatever, but I just thought it was silly. And then I tried it as a stand-up bit and it worked okay. Uh, but then I did it in a sketch show and it worked much better because it was much funnier to have, like we had the guy off stage talking into a God mic. 
uh, Brian doesn't like his jeans. And then someone was up and then it looks like a fake commercial. So being experienced, like stand up improv, like having all those three, it, it gives you like more mediums to do your stuff. Cause now I know like, Hey, uh, I could still do that as a stand up joke, but it's probably better if you can act it out. It's probably yeah. better with multiple people on stage and you can do a, a fake, you know, before and after and have right. the skinniest guy in the sketch group and the biggest guy in the sketch group stand. Like, you know, it's, there's a lot more opportunities for jokes that you don't get if you're just doing stand up. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it, it absolutely helps. It's just, and it's just good to like the, a lot of my friends that are stand ups, I met taking improv classes at second city and neither of us improvise really ever anymore. Uh, and we never really improvised together, but we were able to meet in that class and just meet like-minded people. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, that's a lot of it is just like having, just making friends in, you know, different, you know, different rooms and in different genres, and different different types of comedians. Uh, because really, like, your friend, like, you know, you are your friend group. Yeah. Whatever, you know, that thing that your grandma used to yell at you or whatever? Like, you, you, you surround yourself with people you want to be. Mm-hmm. That's another big part of it is just finding like-minded people. Uh, like, when your friends, when you start comedy... You don't know any comedians. You're just like, you're just like some kid and you really like parks and rec and you like watch it in your dorm all day. And then you go to an open mic and then all those guys are really intimidating. And there's this weird part of you. That's like, Oh, like they're all friends. And then you do it for like long enough. And you're like, they were kind of friends, but they weren't excluding me. I just wasn't like in the friend group yet. And they were kind of, they were all nice, but they weren't all exactly friends. They were a bunch of people. But when you start and you walk in there, you go to that bar and you figure everybody knows each other and they're like conspiring mm-hmm. against you. There's like, there's no conspiracy. Just when you start stand up, make friends. That's a big part of it. There's no clicks. A lot of people think there's like this big click thing and people hate you. And some people might not like you, but no one's intentionally excluding you from stand for the most part, for the most yeah. part. That's some good, uh, good words, words of advice. Yeah. For starters. Cause I mean, I've, yeah, felt the same way where it's like, they all know each other. They, you know, sometimes they'll like reference each other in sets, but they may not actually know each other. They just listened to, you know, and, and up next we've got Willie Griswold and then they, oh, get, yeah. yeah, you know, like they just listen to your name and they, they and act like they, yeah, they're not, it's not like they're mean to you, but like they don't talk to you. And then after you're there for five weeks in a row and then they're like, Hey dude, I like that joke you do about the Louisiana purchase or whatever the hell it is. You know? <laughs> And then, and then you develop a friendship. And then when the new guy comes, then they're walking in and then the new guy thinks that you're already one of the guys. And then before you know it, you're all one of the guys, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. So, uh, uh, quick shift in gears. Um, you know, when did it all go wrong? In other words, when did you start doing drugs? I'm just joking. (laughs) But Um, did you start smoking weed? Like how did it start? Did you start drinking in high school? I think I went the a kind of unusual route, but I drank first and then I smoked pot and then I smoked cigarettes. Uh, it, I wasn't like a kid that was like stealing cigarettes and going behind. I, I was terrified, terrified, terrified of cigarettes. And I was pretty terrified of the other two, but once I drank and then this one kid was like, you got to try smoking pot. And it was, it was, it was all, you know, really like dramatic, like in a movie, like in some kid's backyard at a bonfire. But yeah, probably I was like smoking pot freshman sophomore year of high school around then and then i went to boulder and that's when my real pot use began yeah well naturally you go well, and also like and that was like 2011 so recreational weed wasn't anywhere yet for the most part i don't think and i was out there my roommate 
on the first day was like, Hey man, I'm from Colorado. I have a med card. And I was like, this is, this is insane. Cause I was smoking yeah. like Indiana mids. And then a day later I was like smoking dabs and learning about edibles. It was insane. It was, <laughs> I, I was like Willy Wonka at the chocolate factory. I was like, Oh my God, I got a golden ticket. I'm here. I made it. Yeah, going from that good old Indiana weed to that sweet, sweet Colorado bud. <laughs> I mean, I went from the worst weed to the best weed in the world, like so fast. It was it was insane. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking hilarious. That's, that's really funny. Um, so, you know, just drinking uh, like what do you do nowadays? You just you, I mean, you kind of a man of all sorts, drinking, smoking weed. Smoke, you smoke um, cigarettes still i hate i mean yes i like hate cigarettes i'm on the i got the nicotine lozenges right now i'm trying to get off them and then because i have to wake up early i don't really drink during the week at all but on weekends if i'm doing stand-up i i absolutely will be drinking and probably smoking a cigarette but i'm i'm very much working on that but uh yeah i, I i'm probably a, a daily weed smoker that's the one that, uh, I don't know, it just feels safer for me. It's, yeah. uh, it's I, I read like Seth Rogen's book and he talked about his relationship with weed. And he says this thing about how like weed is like, like you wouldn't get mad at somebody for wearing glasses or for wearing shoes. Like it's just this thing that you do that helps your life in a little way. And that's kind of how I feel. I feel like I have a lot of anxiety and I think weed helps out with that. And then it helps me sleep. And then I just, I think it's fun. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's like another part of it is, I like the psychoactive elements. Uh, just that I, I just think it's like before bed, if I take an edible and then I have that 20 minutes before I like I'm in a deep sleep when I'm very silly mm-hmm. and I can watch TV and it's funnier than I thought it was 30 minutes ago. I really enjoy that. Hell yeah. That's that's awesome. And that's a really good way of putting it. I've not read that that book yet, um, but just a little thing that can help you get through the day. That's that's beautiful. And I can't, I can't smoke it before work. You know, I wake, I have to be funny for four hours in a row. Uh, if I, I mean, I think there could be a world in which I live in like a legal state where I can smoke pot, but I only like, I I only vape for an hour and then I could like take a dab three hours in and I have coffees and consistent Gatorades and waters. I was going to say, I was going to say that you should pitch, you know, moving Bob and Tom back to Michigan and then you could just fucking spark that shit up during the show. (laughs) I, oh, I think there's like FCC regulations against that stuff. Uh, Also, I don't think that I'm like my funniest, uh, when I'm stoned. Uh, I think that when I'm with people and we're all stoned together, sure. I think I laugh more than, uh, than I do when, when I'm not stoned, but when I'm like trying to be like funny intentionally, being stoned can be a bit of a distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not like a total teetotaler and like only coffee before sets, but I definitely like, I don't like, I don't eat a bunch of edibles before I go up. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't try to be, I've, I've been the high guy on stage. We used to like do it for the laugh factory show. We do like, I used to smoke a lot of pot right before it and it's fun, but I'm just, you know, I'm a little Slow. less on my toes <laughs> Uh, I, I stare off, you know, when I get the light, when I get the red flashing light that tells me I should get off stage in two minutes, I stare at it for five seconds longer than I should if I'm stoned, you know? <laughs> so I just, I have to be careful. I can have fun before shows, but I don't really, uh, it, it's not like, yeah, it's not some crazy Cheech and Chong thing before the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. 
Um, have you ever done anything crazy like mushrooms, uh, acid, DMT, anything, anything fun like that? Um, not, not DMT. Uh, but yeah, I mean, rec- you know, I goofed. I don't know how much I want to yeah. talk about it on here, but you know, I goofed a little bit. <laughs> I understand. I'm a big yeah, fan we- of, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, I like taking like a gram of mushrooms and going on a walk, uh, by a river, but with the buddy sure. system and with a friend that's not taking them, there's a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like at concerts, nothing, nothing where I have to be indoors. I have a lot of rules. I, I really respect, I respect them for what they are. Yeah. Uh, I have like buddies that like pull them out at weddings and they're like, yeah, I'm just going crazy tonight. And for me, it's this like weird, I hate to say it. Cause I sound like such a hippie, but like almost sacred thing. No, like, dude. no we got to respect these. We yeah. It's a ritual. Yes, absolutely. I can't, uh, I can't like munch them and then go to a party and then try to pretend I'm a regular guy for an hour. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm a big, we used to play this game called uh damn tag. And it's the do mushrooms and don't tell anyone game. And the whole joke is that you, I always just lose right away. Cause if we were ever hanging out and like, if we're like on a walk at like campus or whatever, and like our friends like, Hey, what's going on, Willie? And they like walk over like, I'm on mushrooms. Immediately I'd have to tell them. So yeah, I haven't done anything like that in a, in a little bit of time. Yeah. But yeah. I definitely used to get a little, uh, a little trippy here and there. A little funky. I mean, you know, That's- it's, College in Boulder. What are you going to do? I was going to say, I mean, I feel like it was almost a stupid question knowing that you went to college in Boulder. Um, yeah, I think there's like, I, I, I totally agree with you. I've actually said this on the show before and it's inspired by a, an author. His name's Michael Pollan. I believe he wrote a book called your, your mind on drugs or, or something like that. I'll get it pulled up here. But anyways, he was describing how um, he was on Joe Rogan, as you may have imagined. And um, is it change your mind? How to change your mind? Uh, yeah, how to change your mind. What the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. Um, looks like it was published in 2018. So I'm not sure if that's the book that I was talking about, but Michael Pollan is definitely the author. Uh, he seemed like he was into drugs. So I'm not surprised that that might not be his first book on it. But anyways, Um, He was talking about how uh, almost with all drugs, we have like this ritual around it, right? Like, so uh, alcohol, for example, it's five o'clock somewhere, um, right? You you get together in a bar. That's kind of part of the ritual, the communal aspect to it. Sure. Um, Another part of the ritual that's kind of recent, um, but maybe not so much uh, is like, don't drink and drive. That's kind of part of the ritual. Like you're kind of going against the ritual. If, if you do that, um, like I say, maybe that's not so new. Cause maybe they're like, Henry, don't ride that fucking horse home. You're too wasted. Right. You sure, know? Yeah. Um, but uh, a, a definite, a definite new one is like, don't be texting on your, you know, your loved, your ex-girlfriend while you're fucking wasted. That's completely, you know, yeah. at a ritual. Um with psychedelics like you say most people choose to to do it together you know um uh with coffee we've got the coffee breaks and there's kind of culture surrounded that uh, surrounding surrounding that um i always make the joke that i work for or i've worked for a lot of drug-free work establishments that when you walk in the first thing is there that's there is the coffee station it's like okay that's not a drug like no yeah 
you know? So um, anyways, I, I just wanted to say that I don't think that that sounded stupid at all. And I wanted to kind of give something for our folks to read. If, if you want to read into uh, that, that idea that I just uh, probably butchered is from. No, well, no, I mean, I totally get the idea of it. It's like, I remember being a kid in eighth grade and watching the movie Dazed and Confused and I hadn't smoked pot yet. And I was like, I don't want to smoke pot, but I like the guys in this movie (laughs) and they seem like a a chill bunch of guys. And and like I remember like watching them like roll the joints and be like, okay, I get the ritual of it. I get I get what's going on here. Mm -hmm. It's it's you're with your pals. You get the record out. You're playing the record. You're on. I like, I was like, I totally, I totally get this. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when I'm a dad, I'll, I'll be super, I'll lock up all of the movies about rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, yeah, I I understand that, man. Yeah. That's another good way of putting it though. I didn't even think about that. That's a good example to use uh, like the ritual that is smoking, you know, like you say, it often consisted of getting that record out, you know, grinding it all grinding it all up, you know, picking out the seeds and stems, listening to uh, music with your buddies, the whole thing. You know? Dude, in high school, I got into vinyl because like, I was like a weird music kid and I, I like music and like it was like a new way. Like I remember I was getting like a Radiohead record when they released in Rainbows, like, oh, you can get it on vinyl and it, like seemed cool and old school. But I remember like seeing them in Days of Confused and being like, I, I want to like roll a joint on that so bad. And then like having parties in high school and intentionally like getting like some some records that I got from like the thrift store, like some weird, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just like some weird like, I can't like like, like hip hop beats or yep. I had like uh, just, just having just wanting to have specific records to roll up on and like impress a girl to be like, look at how cool I am. And she's like, but I was just like. I was just trying, I was doing like an impression of a stoner. Sure. Like, and like a certain era of stoner too. Like a really weird, like <laughs> 70s. Like, dude, poly- I don't even have a record player. What the <laughs> fuck? Know, like, literally, I didn't have a record player, but I had these records. because so I was like, I got to have these parties, roll them up in front of chicks. <laughs> super lame, super lame. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Do you have any um, funny, like, I mean, you mentioned your first time was like kind of in like a backyard with your buddy. Do you have any, like, was that st- first time particularly funny do you have any funny stories of smoking cannabis uh not so or maybe yeah, remember, even close calls like almost getting busted by the law that's always a fun so <laughs> I, I kept know. i kept trying to get stoned and it didn't work like it just it just wasn't working i don't know what yeah. it was i mean we we have terrible terrible weed um but i remember the first time that i actually got stoned I was with some friends in Colorado. We were on a ski trip with our families. Like our two families happened to go on vacation in the same place. And uh, we were just like so paranoid about our clothes smelling. That was like, all we were worried about is that our ski jackets were gonna reek. And uh, we like got Febreze and then we like stood in front of a fire outside. And I just remember feeling like little, these like little criminals. like out in public in this like nice ski town and people were walking past us and like being like we got to go get more sprays and we got to go get like let's go get new t-shirts so that that way our old shirts don't smell like let's wear t-shirts over our ski jackets it'll be funny like we never wear (laughs) why would we ever wear t-shirts over our ski jackets (laughs) uh yeah just it was they're just having just having fun with pals when i was a kid 
Um, I don't, I'm, I'm also, that's another thing is that I'm a big fan of smoking pot at home. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like having it in my car. My car never smells like weed anymore. Uh, I mean, when I was a teenager, I was a little idiot. Sometimes I definitely would roll around because, you know, what are you going to do? You're a kid and you have no idea what you're doing. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I just I, I'm, I'm pretty responsible nowadays. Uh, I try to be pretty straight laced. I mean, how embarrassing would it be to get arrested for consuming weed now? Like it's almost yeah. totally legal for me to be like about to be 30 living in Indiana <laughs> and just like, yeah, I have to go pee in a cup at a place. Because I got caught smoking a joint at a concert. Yeah. I would feel so fucking lame saying that. <laughs> and I'm sure it's like decriminalized to, to, to a certain extent. And like cops really don't care. Uh, but I have always been a very unlucky guy. So I am yeah. like, I'm very straight laced about my, my marijuana smoke. And hey, that's like, that just goes back to our whole ritual thing, right? Yeah, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, part of uh, a lot of the old timers rituals and some of them still stick to it to, the, to this day. Like it's like I, there's this dude that I know that's like super old, like 60 plus, right? And I'm like, "Hey, you I've got this other dude that grows too. You want me to introduce?" And he's like real weird about it. It's like, "Dude, it's it, everything's legal." Like <laughs> like you don't have to be like sketched about it, you know what I mean? It's funny though. Part of their ritual was just, you do not, you don't share my name. We don't, yes. you know, it's like fucking real close lipped. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's crazy how like now um, it, it's, it's becoming a little bit more uh, normalized. What's it like, you know, uh, being in Indiana? I was about to make a joke about Indiana earlier, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and do it just cause like, you got to take one when you can get it right. Um you said that the weed uh, sucked oftentimes in Indiana, just like everything else in Indiana. That's right. Yeah, it probably did. Yeah, boo. Um, so- <laughs> no, I love it. Indiana's like my favorite. I love yeah. it here. What's it like living next to a state that just legalized it? Like, do you have a lot of uh, friends? Like, I don't know. I just imagine that a lot of the people you know, like, it's probably easier to get pot now, right? I'd imagine so. Um, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, like, also, I was a kid. I just didn't know where to get stuff. Um, I left Indiana when I was 18 and that was part of the reason that I didn't know where to get good pot when I was here. Mm. Uh, when I go to like hang out with friends, yeah, people have good pot now. Uh, but it's definitely not as good as a place where it would be legal and people are still pretty hush hush about it. Like you'll see, you'll see people with like pens out at the bar or whatever. But when I'm in Chicago, you'll like walk down the street and smell people like smoking joints or whatever. That's yeah. not really happening a lot here. I don't see that happening as much. People are still pretty private about it. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm the same way, so I get it. Yeah. Indiana can be, uh, I'm not exactly sure on their penalties, but uh, yeah, they definitely haven't lightened up at all. Um, so, <laughs> well, Willie, uh, we're just about at the top of our time. I wanted to give you a chance to remind folks where you're going to be on the 15th. Is that right? Yeah. Let me pull this up again. It is the 15th and 16th at the jukebox comedy club in Peoria. You can get tickets at the link in my Instagram bio. Um, if I've put that up by then, if not just Google Josh Arnold, Willie Griswold, Peoria, hopefully it pops up. Yeah. yeah I should yeah. have them in my bio and that's just at Willie.Griswold. Um, so yeah, come hang. It'll be a really, really fun show. Hell yeah, folks. I'll put the Instagram handle 
in the podcast description so that you can just copy and paste it into your Instagram app or whatever. And if I can get that link, I'll put it in the podcast description as well so that people can just buy the tickets right from there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Willie, I really want to thank you for your time. Um, huge fan of, uh, the Bob and Tom show. So it was cool to, to hear kind of like your history, uh, involving that and also how you got uh, involved in stand up. Um, like I say, I'm really excited to go and see you next week, folks. I hope to see you there. I'll make sure to have it rolled up so that, uh, if anybody takes me up on my offer, I'll, uh, yeah be able to pass that shit to the left if you know what i'm saying hell yeah man. so all right well uh we plugged your instagram we plugged your dates uh anything else you wanted to plug on the way out um just in general uh laugh factory every second friday of the month uh sometimes it rotates but that's all on my instagram and that's a really fun show out in chicago yeah uh isn't there i'll throw the uh, instagram handle for that as well but isn't it highly.lf yep at highlylf Boom. Look at my fucking stoner memory. Oh, yeah, I remember man. weird shit like that. Okay, <laughs> cool, folks. Well, I hope that you found this episode entertaining. I hope that I gave you something to look forward to. We all need we all need something to look forward to these days, and we all need something to laugh about. Am I right? Oh, so yeah. uh, we'll see you uh, in Peoria. And uh, thanks, folks, for listening.